0: Hello again. Welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by ContentStrategy.com and Braintraffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Brain Braintraffic at Braintraffic.com. Greetings, welcome back to the Content Strategy Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. It's someone I haven't even really spoken with before, and, but I've heard such incredible things about her, and uh, I'm excited about her experience and what she's going to share with us. Her name is Erica Templeton. She's the Associate Director of Content Strategy at the super hipster firm Code and Theory in New York City, right? Yep. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Erica. How's it going? It's good. It's going good. 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 Erica. Tell me. Oh, actually, you said it's like ninety degrees and humid and hellish there.
1: Yes. Well, it was. It was this weekend. We're kind of highs and lows in this weird spring.
0: What are you doing to keep cool?
1: Um, what am I doing to keep cool? Um, getting lots of frozen margaritas by the water. Which is really <laughs> awesome. Um, so we're really that's a good idea. anytime. Yes, but we're really close to the seaport now, so that's actually really awesome. I take the boat home from work sometimes, which is a huge luxury. So it's been it's been all right.
0: That living in Minnesota, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Seaport, boat home, what? We drive everywhere. Um, hey, so tell me a little bit about your background and what brought you to content strategy.
1: Yeah, so um, my career path has been seemingly random over the course of the past like 10 years, um, but it all culminated in a collection of skills that's, that actually makes a lot of sense in this field. I started out um, studying journalism. Up in boston and i graduated with a journalism degree in 2009 which was very unfortunate timing for that field and for a lot of fields um so i moved to new york with like a dream of of doing music journalism Um, but it was really hard to find a gig and i ended up um, in an agency working more in like pr for um, architecture and design product makers which was really interesting um using the same kind of skills of like writing and uncovering stories um but then really kind of diving into like a marketing world. And that agency uh, ended up going from being sort of like a traditional PR and communications house to um, suddenly hiring a lot of developers, a lot of UX designers, opened an office in San Francisco. Um, And a lot of the work we were doing um, for our clients turned into like a lot of app work. It was sort of the dawn of the iPad at the time. Um, And I realized that I really loved sort of the more structural side of the content. Um, And then I sort of escaped from that for a second and, um, started my own business thinking that I, um, you know, it would be interesting to experiment with doing some things on my own. I had, I met a lot of like small artisans, um, like small businesses in that, at that time. And I was doing, um, what I called brand therapy with them. So helping them kind of figure out who they were and put together uh, marketing programs. that was everything from like events, um, to web development, to traditional PR, um, and in the process of doing that somehow, kind of by magic, I, I guess I got scouted by a publisher um, who was running a, a trade publication for architecture and design. And asked me to come on board um, as editorial director, which was a huge honor kind of going back to my roots, loving journalism. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but I think I kind of came at it from more of a marketing approach. So we rebranded the publication, really focused a lot on events. Um, but in that time, I was kind of coming to understand like the operational aspect of the content. How do you manage a team? How do you produce things on a budget? How do you you know deal with the production cycles while everything else is going on? And that was kind of a crazy whirlwind. Um, and that, those, the combination of that, um, and all of the UX kind of experience that I had had in the previous agency combined in such a way um, that I felt like I could take on the work of this sort of sort of emerging um, practice. That you know, content strategy means a lot of different things. Um, but I ultimately came on board here at Code. Uh, the ask was to do a pretty complicated uh, content migration for one of our clients, and um, just based on the conversations I had had with them here. About the work, I felt like I understood sort of the bones of the of the project enough to do it. And um, so now I've been here for two and a half years. And uh, used to sit on the UX team as sort of a sub discipline, which was really interesting and, and really fun. Um, but just as of a couple weeks ago, we actually have done a little bit of a reorg here at Code and Theory, and now content strategy is its own department. So it's super exciting. Um, and now we're really going through a process of defining what that discipline means now that it's sort of left the UX nest and is on its own. Um, and so that's really exciting. And we're breaking it up in sort of two pillars. One side is editorial development, and the other is what we're calling um, content engineering. So that's been really cool. That
0: is really exciting. Yeah. That is that is very similar to how we've started talking about content strategy, where we're talking about content design and then systems design. And content engineering sits on the systems design side and editorial sits on the content design side. So it's really been fascinating to see how things are sort of settling into shared definitions without people necessarily feeling the need to come together and being like, what is content strategy? Let us define it once and for all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like an impossible (laughs) task, I think, because even if you internally feel like you really have it figured out and everyone on the team knows what they're what their role is, that evolves drastically depending on the project and the client. So we have to kind of adapt with the language of, of our clients as well and be able to meet them where they are um, and still have a good sense of who we are and what we're, what we're really trying to accomplish. So
0: from a functional perspective, tell me about what your role involves kind of day to day these days.
1: So these days, um, I'm doing, I'm actually going through like a lot of research lately. Um, so some of the client work that we have is actually really complicated on the financial side, um, like the financial industry. And so it's like diving through layers and layers of like SEC law, basically, and like really under Delightful. So fun. Yeah. It's so. Yeah. so fun. I mean, what happens when you work in that industry is you're dealing with such um, monolithic old, giant, like mainframe kind of systems, information systems that are so locked down, so secure, so heavily regulated that, you know, our job is not going to be to change all of that because that that's just so massive. Um, and that's like a, like a 20-year view, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. So what we're trying to do a lot is just understand where the boundaries of all those information systems are and how we can build almost around them or connect with them while, um, creating new things that are more adaptable. So in order to do that, we kind of have to know like the rules of the playground first. Um, so it's, it's not the most exciting reading, but I am a giant nerd about it. So that's what I do. a lot. What
0: are, what are some of the outputs that we'll see from your, not that we'll see, but that your client will see from your research?
1: Yeah. So a lot of stuff that, um, that we kind of provide them is it's almost like reorienting the way that they think about, um, like the classification of their informational value. I mean, that's like a phrase that I think comes up a lot that we are trying to really drive home that we're doing is really taking many, many steps back from like the project of the day and the output that they actually want in like a short term, looking at like a product launch, say six months from now, what are we going to get? And the conversations that we're really having is like, you know, we could do something there. We could organize you around like a new platform or a new touch point. But what we really want to be doing meanwhile is actually stepping all the way back, getting to like the bones of your ecosystem and seeing what structurally we have to work with. And then coming up with almost like a prototype, um, almost like a, like a prototype schedule saying, look, we're going to start here with this project. We'll update in this way. Then let's see how it works. Can we do it better next time? Let's move on to the next. But when you talk about um, clients that are, you know, gigantic enterprises with thousands of touch points and, and hundreds of thousands of employees and and decades of information that they've stored, there's not, it's not an approach that's going to suddenly like solve all of that. So it's very much, actually working with our clients to say, here is the appropriate scope of a test that we will actually you know, run. You will get a finished product in the end that uses the thinking behind that test. And if it works, we can do it again and slowly kind of move ourselves through an ecosystem and, and in the process, hopefully identifying Um, places that we don't even have to bother looking. I think that that's actually something that has become more and more important is it's not just knowing what to do with what you've got. It's like knowing that what you've got even matters first before you spend all your time with it.
0: Tell me about how if you if you are helping them kind of create this roadmap, you know, to to analyze and then continually sort of evolve the maturity of their content ecosystem. Is there anything that you do to create sort of a vision for an endpoint in terms of what the organization will look like when it's kind of reached quote content maturity? Is it do they come to you with that? Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, totally. So I mean, something that I think is really important um, here and the way that we operate at code is that, you know technically I think that content strategy could sit almost in any of our other like more mature departments. It was in UX, but depending on the phase of a project and the ask, like we are really working within all of the departments that we have here. So at that kind of a phase, like the real vision and the road mapping um, that is working uh, super tightly with our creative strategists. And so it's, it's like a, it's definitely like a product roadmap. In many cases, that's usually the initial ask that we get. And so it's kind of locking down strategic pillars for that product. But really, in the process, it's, it's, a, it's about the business, it's about the company as a whole and how that product is going to support bigger um, agendas. Um, and so we would, you know, we'll come in on the early phase where we're really defining what that vision is, call it like the North Star of all the work that we do going forward. Um, and then from that, be able to actually go very tactically, you know, we'll, we'll break off pieces of that project and, and, and then be working very closely with the client to, for them to actually tell us um, what, what like physical, you know, for lack of a better term, since it's obviously digital, but what, what spaces, um, what repositories of information and content we should really focus on with them to extract value out of those areas and place them into this new roadmap and give some, something tangible that we can test with as we build.
0: So one of the things that you mentioned is that, uh, you know, as you're sort of building out that roadmap, that something that's really important is making decisions about what you're not going to do. What are some constraints that sort of raise, you know, if you want to call them red flags, or or that are that operate to uh, sort of help focus your activities? What do those constraints look like?
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. That's it's very very like business dependent. So again, like working, we'll work very closely with our clients to say like. What do you what do you want to accomplish here? Um and and where really is the value? A lot of times it's just a question of um I I always think like it's a it's an analytical process, but it but it's actually very emotional for the people involved. It's like kind of like going through episodes of hoarders a lot of time. I I personally <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> I am a digital hoarder myself, and so I totally understand it. And it's like, you know, you have all this stuff and it feels very um easy to just let it sit because it's, it's not taking up space that you can see every day, but it's just really clogging the arteries of your system. And so, you know, if we can get people to identify, for example, date is super important. Like if you have content that's been sitting around since 1988, and you can see that only 10 people have accessed that information since, you know, 2005, say like, maybe, okay, maybe we could let it sit there, but we're not going to use that as the basis of like a new classification system or any kind of a new model um, that would tell us what's really of value. Like, they're, like, you know, kind of figuring out ways where you can hang on to the past, but we really want to drill down to what is going to be the most purpose, the most purposeful content in your system. So, you know, things that we can see, user behavior around that we can see that people want to access that, that people are repeatedly going to it. Um, that's super important um, on the back end to say, like, are you and your teams actually retrieving this stuff? Do you actually use it yourself? Um, and, you know, then saying, like, where, where do you want to make the most impact first? Um, a lot of times we will be brought in when there's like a brand uh, redesign or kind of, you know, some kind of a, a shift in how the message needs to be communicated. And so then it's very easy to say, let's get a, a representative inventory of content that you have that you expect to be displayed across this, this channel or on this touch point. And let's really analyze, is this or is this not on brand for you? And that, that um, kind of moves more into what I would call the editorial development side that we have here, um, which is really looking more on the front end. And see, kind of doing like a supply and demand sort of analysis. What do users want, and what are we showing them when they when they think that they've got it? Um, that's really important. And and on the back end, it's sort of um, where does your clean and organized data live? What can we actually see? We don't want to we don't want to spin our wheels trying to get to the bottom of some kind of a neglected. Um, database we we want to be able to actually extract value and like know that what we're seeing is true and reflective of what you've got and and that's very much we we need to rely on our clients to provide us with that so i think that part of the big challenge um in this work is that we we really need to identify very quickly the right stakeholders who who understand kind of where we're coming from in this and are are willing to help us get access to things i think that that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that we face is even being able to see what's there,
0: being in other words, being able to connect with stakeholders and have them provide content, whether it's the assets themselves or access to the platforms where they reside.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Just you know, literally, just very simply, what what have you got, and and what can we learn about it? Um, you know, sometimes the you can see things only on the front end, but if you actually try to like just do like an export of data from those systems, it takes a long time even just to clean that up. Um, and so we have to, it's, it's kind of, it can be hard to judge um, if you're on like a fixed timeline on a project to be able to say, um, you know, we know that we can accomplish all of this in six months, but first we have to know what you've got and how much is there. And, and surprisingly, that could be a difficult uh, question to answer.
0: Well, I don't know how surprising. I mean, we run into that at Brain Traffic all the time. And really what we point to is that we're asking people on top of their regular jobs to go in and dig around for a bunch of content, much of which they are no longer familiar with or that they may have inherited or they're not sure where it lives or who owns it and really what the value is. And so I think it does become Kind of a pain in the butt for for stakeholders to do that, and I can see where that email request sort of continues to slide to the bottom of the inbox.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a pain in the butt for everybody, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. exactly. Yeah,
1: so I, I think like you know a lot of it is um, we really have to set up the value of that painful effort and like what we're going to get out of it because I, I think very quickly the the concepts become abstract. Um, For sure. Like why are we going to go about it this way? Um, and so again, like just finding those right, the right stakeholders who have at least a little bit of hands on knowledge of what's what's out there, um, who can kind of steer us in the right direction um, is, is really critical to the success of the project.
0: Say so we've talked a lot about um, kind of working with internal stakeholders and, and getting to understand, you know, how content's going to be providing business value over the longer term. Let's talk about the audiences or the users of the content for just a minute. Um, another, another gap I often see when we go to work with clients is, is uh, known audience needs and preferences. They're oftentimes working with a lot of assumptions or with really loosely created user personas that are. A lot about like this soccer mom likes to buy Gatorade for her son's team and really cares about health or whatever. Yep. D- tell me a little bit about how you all go about getting to know users and understanding user value or, or value of the content to the users within, within the project framework.
1: Yeah. So I should say first and foremost that um, many of us here, I am glad to say, have been on a kind of death to the persona crusade, which has been... Really great, like the like the two specific persona where it's like, Amy is thirty one and she's busy with her two kids and has to drive them to soccer practice and then goes home. It,
0: it always comes back to the soccer mom persona every time. Yeah. I know.
1: And so you know we're we're trying really hard to uh, get away from relying on that so heavily. Understanding that that's a tool only up until a point. Sometimes it's really nice when you're like visualizing. Uh, like a customer journey, and you want it to feel real. And so you actually kind of create this singular human and walk them through an experience, but being very careful not to confuse that for how we actually understand users. So the perspective that we kind of come at it with um, is one of user mindset as opposed to like user type. And so what are the, what are the frames of mind that people are coming to um, let's say a website with, they they want to do something or they're seeking something specifically. And at, at a certain point, it doesn't necessarily matter who they are demographically. It matters that they, they came with an expectation and they want that expectation met. And those, those lines can span across, uh, you know, any kind of user segmentation. So it's helpful to come at it, um, from, from that perspective. And in that way, um, it can sort of be a little bit of like a, like a jobs to be done perspective as well. Um, I don't personally have a huge amount of familiarity with that methodology, but I know that there are plenty of people here who do and, and like to kind of come at it from that approach. Um, I like to, um, Roll up to very very broad and simple mindsets, much the same way that you might roll up to very broad and simple like primary content types, where it's again taking a really big step back and and not getting too hung up on all of the details, uh, all of the the nuance and the specifics of different kinds of people, knowing that that will come later. But but starting off um, really with like a clean skeleton that can be simple that everyone can latch onto. So for example. One model that um, has been really relevant lately on some projects I'm on is that, you know, user mindsets, everyone wants to, um, you know, stay in the know, get a problem solved, or get help understanding something. That's so basic and so universal. And if we can start that broad and then from there work our way in and uncover the complexity later, I find that's really helpful to have projects start off smooth with a clear focus. Um, and then as we get more specific, what are users actually trying to do? What can we see them do in the analytics? Um, and then, and also like, let's have some focus groups. Let's actually sit some people down um, and, and walk through experiences with them and have them tell us. So kind of a balance of um, qualitative in the context of a new design and, and quantitative in the context of what the legacy uh, behaviors were with the content as it stands today, kind of a thing. Um, and balancing those out. And And, you know, the question that, or I guess the sort of mantra is like, do least harm. You know, we, we, we might be really changing things in a design process and suddenly requiring users to change their patterns of behavior to access the same kind of information that they used to find valuable. So we want to be careful that if something was working in the past and because of a design request, we want to make it different now, we don't want to prevent we don't want to present any new hurdles for people we want to still get them to access the information that they need is ultimately that's that's the whole point
0: you know that is and that is so straightforward and so simple and yet so quickly lost when you start talking about uh content substance I think understanding the information that people need from that. I really liked that framework of those those three uh, the three things you said at the, at the top of your answer under, you know, what do people want to do? What do they need help understanding? And what was the other one?
1: Yeah. And keep me in the know. So that yeah, exactly. have been there. They've actually worked really well. So I, I think I might've made up a formula on that one. <laughs> and just in the past like year and a half, the, the, as we go into new projects, it it feels like that actually is a really good starting point for a lot of them. Um, obviously, if the content mix was really different, it, it might not be the same. If there was, for instance, like no no news, if there was only like like long form evergreen, the keep me in the know might disappear, and it might be replaced with something else. But um, actually, I think that it's a pretty universal truth for for a lot of the work that we're doing.
0: I expect a blog post from you by the end of the week. <laughs>
1: Say, because you
0: are working with such within such an advanced practice, at least what i what I believe is an advanced practice at code and theory, just based on what you 've said about content strategy activities and and mindset within the organization, um, you are also working on sort of deeper and more complex challenges with with your clients When you think about kind of what's coming in the future for content strategy, tell me a little bit about about where you see real opportunities. Uh, for the advancement of the discipline and also f- within people's careers?
1: Yeah. So where I am definitely focused, um, maybe out of like selfish excitement, but also because some of our clients are starting to enter this space more, um, is really looking at like non-visual interfaces. Um, and so then that dives into like the magical, mysterious world of AI right now. Um, we work a lot with like natural language processing, um, trying to figure out ways that we can bring information to people without without really having like a traditional front end, right? So we because we usually um, would be working alongside of UX and visual designers. And and what becomes really interesting in that process is like the work on the front end is beautiful. And the work on the back end is like an ugly disaster, but sort of by by the very nature of the work. It's like huge databases of like really messy stuff that we're sifting through and trying to bring order to and and, and reorganize and recalibrate. And there can be a a disconnect, um, particularly when you're trying to like communicate those efforts and it's like, suddenly you're going from like these wonderful visual elements to like an endless scroll in a, of a CSV. And it's really hard to get people interested in that stuff because it's like the ugly, it's like the ugly stepchild (laughs) of the Mm. process. And so I have, you know, I I try to like reinforce like ugly is cool. This, you know, it it can be, it can be messy. It is a messy process and, and that's okay because, you know, this doesn't necessarily have to translate into something visual. This just needs to be able to communicate with people or people to be able to access the information they need from it. So that's really interesting um, defining invisible truths. So if we can call, through a huge repository of information and, and find patterns that tell us that there's something interesting here, even though it's the ugliest stuff you've ever seen. Um, how can we actually extract that information and, and simplify it down, um, and, and give people access to it where they don't even ever have to look at the tangle. Um, but you know, it can still exist. If that makes sense. I, I think sometimes when you work on visual interfaces, you can, oversimplified for aesthetic reasons, and in the process lose some of the necessary information. And so I think non-visual interfaces give us an opportunity to really let the whole mess stay where it is because no one's ever gonna see it. And it only through um, their voice or other form of action would they access what they need. And that's really cool. And that means that that system is really, really intelligent. Um, and it's it's really hard work, but it's it's really exciting to be able to do that here and to have the people in at this company that are Kind of on the same page and willing to put in the sweat and tears to make that kind of stuff happen.
0: You know, as somebody who's been doing this work for twenty some years, it is incredible to me how we cannot sit still. Like we are constantly just making stuff up to try to keep up with the technology that's evolving. It's nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting.
0: With that in mind, you know if if because the other thing I wanted to say is that at the top when you were talking about kind of your meandering route to content strategy where you're sort of picking up these perfect skills along the way, um, I think that a lot of people are still finding their way into content strategy exactly like that where they majored in communications and then they went over and did some PR and then they went and did some sales and then they got dragged into a migration project or whatever. What advice would you have for people who are interested in either transitioning into or growing up into the field of content strategy right now?
1: That's a great question. I'm going to, I'm going to mull that for two seconds. Tonight. My advice you do it. entering this would be, this is, this is so nerdy, <laughs> but I really mean this. <laughs> My advice would be to, to know the vocabulary of your practice and believe in it and like be willing to fight for it. Because depending on who you're working with, um it's gonna be people tend to want to take this practice and relate it back to their own and, and use the language that they are used to. And it's actually really um it's an exciting struggle, but it is a real struggle, I think, to get people to realize that the language of this discipline um is really important and it and it means something different when you're actually doing this work, even though the same terminology can appear elsewhere and like to really fight to be understood and to take the time to like explain again. again, what you're doing as opposed to um, getting kind of absorbed back into other disciplines. Um, I think that that's actually that is you have to be like a crusader for this practice and and really prove that it it is its own thing and has its own value. Um, I think it's very easy to get sucked into um, like data and analytics, if you're not careful, because, you know, a content model begets a data model (laughs) and where, where do you, where do you live and reside and what are, what are your outputs on the project versus those, um, for example. Um, but that I think is really, you know, taking the time to know yourself and what you're doing and why it's different than the other roles on the project, um, and and making the space for this practice.
0: Erica, you are a delight. (laughs) Thanks. I feel that we should continue this conversation over drinks in New York on a boat.
1: On a boat. Yes, let's do it.
0: <laughs> okay. Hey, thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, and who are you on social media if people want to start following your very smart thoughts?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm such, a, I'm such a shy nobody on social media. I like only have an Instagram account. I always joke that I'm like 75 years old on the inside. Um, (laughs) That is at ELT609 on Instagram, which is really funny. Um, Well,
0: for the the good of the practice, I encourage you to start doing more writing and sharing your thoughts and and your expertise because uh, I'm just really excited about, about the thoughts that you've shared and where you're helping the practice to go. So thanks so much for your time, Erica. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by contentstrategy.com and Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Brain Traffic at, of course, braintraffic.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.